Well, happy Mother's Day to all of the incredible women in the room this morning are joining us online. Can we just give it up for all of incredible women in our lives this morning? Yeah, yeah. Um, I ran across uh, this quote actually like last night on Twitter um, where not usually where the greatest wisdom is found. Uh, but I, I didn't even get it on the screens because it was so late. But I ran across this quote from John Wesley, who was the founder of you know, the Wesleyan Church, United Methodism, and all those different kind of things. He said this, and I think this is so appropriate, about the power and the impact of mothers in our world. He says, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in all of England. That moms, uh, the way that you love, the way that you care, the way that you do the dirty work, the way that you show up and show up and show up moment by moment, day after day, month by month, year after year, uh, you are a conduit for the love and the power and the presence of God. I want you to hear that, that your work as a mom uh, is sacred, it is holy, and I cannot imagine my life and our world uh, without the presence of incredible women leading uh, the way for me as well. So I want you to hear that today. Another thing that we recognize, uh, we recognize that motherhood takes all different shapes and forms and styles, and it is a diverse group of incredible women that lead the way in motherhood. So today, just like the video says, we want you to know that God sees you, but we see you as well, and we honor you no matter what your motherhood journey looks like. Uh, for the new moms among us, I can't believe you're awake right now, uh, to, to grandmothers, uh, to to single moms, to stepmoms, to adoptive or fostering moms, to mother figures or spiritual mothers in the lives of us, uh, to working moms working three jobs just by working two jobs, uh, grandparents who are mothering and parenting for the second time around. I wanna let you know that your heavenly father sees you and we see you and we wanna honor you this morning. So what I'd love to do is I'd love to pray a blessing over all of the special women in the room or watching online this morning. Um, can we do that together? Let's pray together. Father, uh, like I mentioned, I can't imagine my life and our world without the powerful presence of mothers, of incredible women who show up and uh, they are just a conduit of your presence, your love, and your grace. And we do, we stop just for a moment to pray a blessing for these incredible women in all the different forms that they show up in our world. To the new moms, God, would you renew their strength? <laughs> would you give them um, multiplied effects of sleep, even though they're not getting that much sleep? Uh, God, would you uh, just bless the grandmothers among us? May you just bless those moments and those memories that they get to invest in and the memories that they share as they spoil all the kids that we have represented in the room. God, we pray for single moms, that you would let them know even when they feel like they are alone, that you are with them and that you are for them and that you will provide all of their needs uh, to be met in you. God, I pray a special blessing over stepmoms people stepping in to help love and raise and care for kids that aren't biologically theirs. God, would you bless them? Would you let them know that their work is sacred and it matters to you? To adoptive moms, to moms that are doing foster care, God, would you just bless their socks off for the way that they just exemplify your sacrifice and your love? Uh, God, would you just bless them and let them know that they're not alone? To working moms, would you just renew and multiply their strength? Would you, would you let them know, just through the power of your spirit, 
uh, that it all matters. It all matters. The work they do to provide for their family, the work they do to provide for their family inside of the home and outside of the home. And God, we pray for those um, grandparents, grandmoms among us who are parenting for a second time around. God, would you give them peace and strength that makes no sense on earthly human terms? And would you bless them in their journey? God, we also recognize that Mother's Day, um, it can be a joyous occasion, but it's also a heavy time for many of us. And so God, I I pray for those that feel tension uh, around the celebration of Mother's Day. God, I pray for the moms that have lost a child. Uh, God, just a pain that is hard to wrap the human mind around. God, would you comfort them? Would you meet, meet them in their grief? Would you transform their pain to somehow, somehow something beautiful? And would you walk with them through it? God, we pray for the women among us who have an unfulfilled desire to be a mother. As I know today can be a painful day, but God, we do, we pray for those women among us. We pray that they know that you see them, that you walk with them, and you honor them and tell them that they are enough today, that they are not lacking today. And God, we do also pray that you would fulfill the desires of their hearts sometime in this next year. God, would you make it possible Uh, for the desire of their heart to be a mother to be fulfilled this year. God, we pray for those people who have lost a mother, and so there's a tinge of sadness and grief today. God, would you just flood our memories and our hearts with uh, just uh, reminders of who our mothers were. May we honor them today, but draw close to us if we're mourning the loss of a mother. And God, I pray for those of us uh, who might have a strained relationship with our mother And so there's a tinge of, you know, angst with today. And God, I pray for those of us who have a strained relationship with our children if we are mothers. And God, um, would you comfort, would you draw near to, would you remind them that you are with them? God, and we pray that the seeds of reconciliation uh, would be sown today and that you would bring a peace that only you could bring in these relationships. God, we just recognize that uh, you see us all and you love us, and you're with us, and you're for us. And we can't imagine our worlds without these incredible women leading the way. So may we honor them more than just on one Sunday a year, but with every day, because they deserve it. In your name we pray, amen. Would you guys just give it up for the incredible women in the room this morning? Again, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Yes, so grateful to do that. At the end of the service, we got a couple special things going around for moms, so you don't wanna rush out, as some of you do as I'm doing closing announcements. Don't rush out. We got some special stuff to celebrate uh, the women in the house this morning as well. But for now, we are in week two of our series walking through the book of Colossians. Uh, And the book of Colossians is, uh, it's a New Testament document, a New Testament letter tucked away near the end of our Bibles. And uh, all month of May, we're walking through chapter by chapter, big idea by big idea on Sundays, this New Testament book. So if you're not spending a lot of time in the Bible, this is a great time for you to jump in and ask questions and spend time in this beautiful, ancient, inspired text that we have. We said last week, though, we have a couple ground rules as we just sort of systematically go at a couple chapters. chunks of scripture. Uh, The first one is this. We just got to mention this again. We need to understand that the Bible was not written to us. The Bible was written for us. I've heard it said so many times that the Bible is God's love letter to me and 
I just wanna like widen our perspective on that a little bit. Yes, we are gonna experience God's love, but we need to understand that the Bible is not even a book. It's a library of books of people having experience with God and God moving the story forward. And what we see in the book of Colossians, the genre of literature we're looking at is it's a correspondence. It's a letter between the Apostle Paul and this group of Jesus followers, this young church in this place called Colossae. And what's powerful is this is a divinely inspired correspondence and communication that we get to eavesdrop in on and learn from. And yes, there'll be many challenges for us today as well, but we need to understand that what we're diving into is communication that we're like leaning into and hearing, eavesdropping in on. We said last week that Paul, this first century Um, church planner and leader in the early church, he's actually writing from prison. He's in chains in prison because he just wouldn't stop telling people about Jesus. And he's writing to this, uh, his friend Epaphras' church, the church of Colossians. And we, we have some connections here, um, Bridgeway and Kokomo, with the church in Colossians. Most scholars believe it's like less than five years old, so it's a new church. And hey, here at Bridgeway, we're just a two-year-old church, so we have some connection there. Um, also, Colossae wasn't like the cultural center of the first century in the Roman Empire either. It was kind of this you know, mid-sized, town that was industrial, it had a, a great uh, cost of living, and there wasn't a lot of traffic, and you know, like this uh, big bin and all those things, or you know, just kidding, old bin, I always get it mixed up with the clock, sorry about that, uh, in England. But maybe it's something that we can connect to, and uh, Paul's writing to them, and he's encouraged by them, he's so excited because people are, uh, maybe for the first time, they're trusting in Jesus, they're, they're seeing what Jesus had done for them, and they want to follow him and give their allegiance to him. But there's also some challenges, and there's challenges that we all face, right? Uh, we said last week that these uh, Jesus followers, they were doing life with the Jesus Plus model, you know, like Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, Discovery Plus, it's all plus today, right? Uh, but they were doing this Jesus Plus model where they're like, yeah, we love Jesus, we love what he did for us, we wanna follow Jesus, but like there's a lot of other ways that we are, you know, people are worshiping around us, so we'll take a little, we'll worship Aphrodite, we'll worship Artemis, and we'll practice Gnosticism, which was this first century heresy, or philosophy, or we'll worship angels too because it's how we fit in. And Paul said, and this is where we leaned all last week, Paul's saying that you guys don't fall for the Jesus plus plan. See that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is all sufficient. And if you're looking for a place to find your identity, your satisfaction, your joy, from anywhere else, you're just gonna be let down because it's in Jesus that we see all of these things fulfilled. So he's like, lean in, you guys. Hear me, don't fall for the Jesus plus plan. And today, we're gonna see another challenge from the book of Colossians. And this time, it was this challenge for us to grow in our faith, to take steps forward, to not be satisfied or get stuck on our faith journey. So much so that at the end of the first chapter of Colossians, Paul writes this. He says, he, Christ is the one that we proclaim, the one that we shout and talk about, admonishing, which means challenging or encouraging and teaching everyone with all wisdom. It's Jesus that we're telling everybody about. We're encouraging you, challenging you to know and understand so that we may present everyone fully mature or mature in Christ which predicates this reality that when we say yes to Jesus, it's not like an instant kind of thing where we are fully mature and we've grown to completion. Just like life itself, we are called to grow and take next steps and to deepen our trust in our faith. So we're gonna talk today about what it means to have a growing trust, a growing faith in Jesus. But before we dive deeper into this, would you guys pray with me? 
Let's pray together. Jesus, um, we thank you so much that this ancient letter has been preserved for us. We thank you that you divinely inspired these texts and these words that we get to dive into. God, help us see clearly. Help us not think about our neighbor or our spouse or our kids, but help us feel the spotlight on ourselves. And God, we say here that you have permission to mess us up in beautiful ways. God, you have permission to challenge us, to transform the way we see ourselves, the way we see others around us, and the way that we see you. So God, may we not be people that play church today, but may we take a step forward to trust you deeper and to grow so that we could be mature in Christ. In your name we pray, amen. So as we walk through our life's journey, I imagine you can look back on your life and you have a couple milestones or mile markers where you said, yeah, I experienced this and I'll never forget it and I'll probably never be the same again, right? When you look back on life, what are some of those milestones, some of those mile markers? For me, uh, the first one I thought of was when I went to middle school at Northwestern Middle School and um, I had, the very first time I had a locker and a locker combination and a in a five minute passing period. And I have like chills down my spine thinking about this. Because I, am I the only one that still has the recurring nightmare for getting my locker combination? <laughs> Maybe I am. What does that say about me? I'll learn in counseling this next week, apparently. Uh, but anyway, uh, like, I don't know why, but like, I would have this like practice lock at home where I was memorizing my locker combination, which was 23, 47, 15. I don't know why I still have it memorized, but uh, it's just a big part of my life, apparently. And I would just be so nervous because I was like on the clock in passing period to try to get into my locker. But it was a big moment for me when I memorized how to do a locker combination. And the way that you guys are looking at me, you think I'm crazy, and I probably am. Uh, I remember just a few years later when I got my driver's license after all the tests, the written test, the practice test, and I got the piece of plastic, my first driver's license, and I went home, and I'm like, hey, mom, dad, I'm gonna go take the car out by myself for the very first time. So I went on a country road, and I hope my mom's not in this service, um, and I drove as fast as I could without scared myself to death, like 85 miles per hour on a country road. I couldn't go, I couldn't go any faster because it scared me, and I don't think I've ever done it since, but I just felt like that freedom to do it. I felt like I am an adult. Hear me roar is kind of what it felt like in that time, I guess. Uh, I remember another milestone in my life was having my first job and getting my first paycheck. Um, I, my first job was three hours every day after school. I drove to a church's daycare, and I was affectionately or mockingly referred to as Mr. Joel. And um, I watched some kids, and I've seen the first 30 minutes of Finding Nemo 317 times. <laughs> But it was like I got my first paycheck and I'm like, oh man, I have the freedom to do this and I would just you know, buy a guitar or an amplifier, some kind of musical equipment. That's what I was doing with my money back then. It was like a milestone in my life. I moved forward in life and I'm graduating college. I've um, been dating this girl, my high school sweetheart, and we get married back in January of 2010. Yeah, you heard it right. We got married in January because we wanted to spread some joy in the darkest, worst time to live here in the godforsaken state of Indiana, right? We wanted to to like, like spread some joy and all of my in-laws and my parents were like, you don't wanna get married in January. People are gonna get stuck in snow. And you know what? There was snow on the ground, but it was still stinking awesome. But it was a milestone. Then just, you know, t about 10 years later, we uh, finally had our first son, Jack. 
And that morning we went to the doctor and we weren't preparing to have a baby that day, but circumstances would have it that we were having a baby that day about a month early. And so we're in the hospital room with all the anxiety, all the excitement of our, we're finally going to have a child. And it started the day, this is what the mysterious reality of it was. It started in that room, there were just two of us. But a few hours later, there were three of us in that room And I'll never forget this power of this mysterious, mystical thing of joining with God in creating a child. And many of you know what I'm talking about. It was something that I'll never, ever forget. We all have these milestones, right? Or maybe you've had a milestone in your life to where you think forward and you're like, man, I'm looking forward to this next milestone. Maybe for you it's getting out of the job that you are in and finding a new job. Maybe for you it's getting into retirement and having no job. Maybe for you it's like having grandkids or having kids for the first time. Maybe it's you having that dream vacation that you want to experience. I don't know what it looks like, but it's something human about us. It's something natural about us that we want to have something to look forward to, that next mile marker, that next milestone. And I would actually say that I think that's like divinely planted inside of us as human beings. We all want that next thing. Now the question that Paul is going to encourage us and nudge us with, and I wanna nudge you with this morning is, like what is that next milestone, what is that next mile marker on your spiritual journey as well? If you're a follower of Jesus, like what is that next mile marker for you, that next milestone. And if you've been around church or just because you live in the Midwest and you've been around Christian talk or churchianity or whatever you wanna call it, like you've probably heard of people getting stuck on their spiritual journey. Like you say yes to Jesus, things are amazing, you like coming to church, you like learning, you like the songs, you like the messages, you like getting involved, but then somewhere along the line you get a little stuck, right? And at first, I just want you to hear, like, that is perfectly normal and natural. Uh, You're not defective if you've been stuck on your spiritual journey. I want you to hear me say that there have been many seasons in my walk with Jesus that I have been stuck as well. But what we want to do this morning is sort of like, you know, just nudge us or just shake us out of complacency to move past being stuck. But there are three main reasons why I think we get stuck on our spiritual journey, and we stop growing into a deeper and richer trust of Jesus. The first reason why I think we get stuck in our spiritual journey is that we don't want to wait to grow at all. Heck, we don't wanna wait for anything in our culture today, do we? Like, how many times when I was in college did I burn the roof of my mouth off with a hot pocket because I would not wait (laughs) 60 more seconds, right? And then I couldn't taste anything for two days. Like, what was I thinking, right? I mean, when we watch TV, there used to be a time when you had to wait like seven days for the next episode of a show you're watching. And now, like, I don't even have to push a button on our Apple TV. It just starts playing the next episode until it starts shaming me after like the fourth episode. Like, are you still watching this, right? But we don't have to wait for these things. Our three-year-old Jack, uh, right now, he's in this infuriatingly cute little season where every time we tell him, hey, after this, we're gonna do this and we're gonna have fun and we're gonna go do this, he just like stomps his foot and goes, no, I want to now. But can I say like, I don't think we've really evolved very far from that as adults either, have we? (laughs) We want what we want when we want it, the way we want it, right? We want it now. Everything is instant all the time. And hear me, spiritual growth cannot be microwaved. 
I counsel people all the time who might feel a little stuck and trying to figure out their next step, and they just wanna know why they don't have it all together right now. They talk often about Christianity being about a destination. Like, when do I get there? When do I finally arrive? And I say, hey, it's not about destinations. Christianity, following Jesus, is about the journey. It's about the exploration. It's about you going somewhere, partnering with God to do something. It's not an instantaneous thing at all. So that's sometimes why we get stuck is it's just not happening at the pace that we want it to. Another reason why we don't grow and we get stuck in our spiritual journey is this, that we don't really see the need to grow. We treat, I hear this all the time, and I used to actually subscribe to a version of Christianity that didn't say this but lived this way, um, that you know, Christianity was all about being in or out. Once you say yes to Jesus and you believe the right things, you check the right boxes, you're in. So now what you need to do is just keep your hands as clean as possible until you die and you go to the good place. Like that was the whole story was like, hey, you're in, so now you just need to go to church and like not get in trouble and then someday God's gonna evacuate you and take you to the good place where you get your own mansion made of gold and you walk the streets of gold and it's all gold all the time, right? And we think that like, there's no need to grow and take next steps. I just need to stay out of trouble because I said, yes, I'm in the Jesus club. What's interesting about that way of thinking is that that's actually an ancient idea as well. I mentioned last week and a little bit this morning that the Colossians, they were in this Jesus plus plan to where they were loving Jesus, trusting Jesus, but they had this plus Gnosticism. Gnosticism, it's kind of like, it starts with a G, it's like Noki. Um, Gnosticism was this uh, belief that the world that you lived in, the world that we live in is evil, it's bad, it's broken, and the goal of Gnosticism was to somehow get to that world that was perfect, the world of forms where everything was the way it was supposed to be, and the goal was just to get out of here, the broken world, to there. And so many people inside of our churches, so many people that subscribe to Christianity, they just, I think we miss it. We think it's all about getting out of the broken stuff when I think what Jesus is all about, let me get on my soapbox for a second, what Jesus is all about is invading the broken stuff with the stuff of heaven, bringing the up there, down here, making it like in Kokomo as it is in heaven. Jesus is on mission to do this. He wants us to partner with him, but we need to move. We need to grow. It's not just all about that destination that we think it's about sometimes. And when we don't think that it needs, we need to grow, I mean, there's some problems with that. Mainly Jesus in the scriptures. I mean, look at what Paul says, and again in Colossians, he says this. Near the very beginning of the letter, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, he's talking about this group of Jesus followers in Colossae, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now notice here, Paul says that him and Timothy who are in prison, they've not stopped praying at all. They've not stopped praying for this group of Jesus followers. And then they're saying that we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his Spirit. Continually, not stop praying, continually. Do you get the picture of a destination, one-stop shop here no, you see this pattern, this rhythm of continuing, continuingly to ask God to fill these people with wisdom and understanding. And then it's really important what he says next. He says, so that there's a practical application and implication here. I pray for you not just so that you don't get sick or that you have safe travels to and from your work, but I pray a big thing happened, that you live a life that's worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And they describe next what it means to live a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing him in every way. He says, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. 
Paul and Timothy are continually, over and over again, praying that Christians, these people in in Colossae and maybe us today, that we would bear fruit in every good work and grow in the knowledge of God. Now, this is really important for me to understand this because what Paul is praying is not that they just keep their hands clean until they die and they go to heaven, but no, Paul prays that they would get busy doing the work of the Father here and now, that their homes, that their workplaces, that their families and their marriages would be transformed by the power of God and that there would be goodness and hope spreading everywhere on earth as it is in heaven. That plays against that idea that we don't need to grow, we don't need to, you know, we just need to evacuate and get to heaven, right? But he also says this, I pray that you're growing in the knowledge of God. Now, when we hear that phrase, the knowledge of God, what we all naturally think of is head knowledge, right? I I talk to people all the time saying, oh, I just need to have more knowledge about the Bible. I need to understand more theology. I'm just not there yet because I don't understand it all. And what people say when they tell me that, it's just like they're trying to get book knowledge. They're trying to get knowledge in their head. But that phrase, knowledge of God in the first century, a first century listener would pick up on that phrase and it didn't mean to understand things about God. It meant to have an intimate knowledge of God, like if you're walking beside him. It means to like know somebody in the way that you know your spouse, the way that you know your child's cry when they cry out mommy or daddy, the way that you hear their voice. It means I want you to have this knowledge of God in an intimate way because you walk daily with God. And that's what Paul is praying over and over and over again, which is something that shows us that we need to grow. It's not just a one-stop shop. It's not saying yes to Jesus or saying the sinner's prayer one time, but it's a daily walk and surrender. And the last reason I think that we um, you know, get stuck in growing spiritually is this, that we just don't know how to. We're like, yeah, I hear people like you know, Joel stand up on stage and say, we need to grow in your faith, I get that but like, I don't know what it actually looks like. And, and hear me in this, like, sometimes we think that you know, growing is just white knuckling and trying to like, stop our bad habits by not thinking about them anymore or like, just like uh, you know, white knuckle to understand as much as possible so we read a bunch. We try to understand a lot of things. Or sometimes people think it's just behavior modification. Growing is just stopping certain things and starting new things. Hear me, it is so much deeper than this It's richer than this, and it's something that will transform your life, not just a pattern, but it'll transform your life really growing. And what Paul does in the second chapter of Colossians is he gives us a picture of what it means to really grow and how we actually grow in our spiritual journey. So if you're asking this question, if you feel this way, I wanna grow, but I don't know how, just here, stick with me, another 15 minutes here, stick with me, and I think that there's gonna be something that's gonna be actionable and practical for you. So in Colossians chapter two, verse six and seven, Paul gives two metaphors. He mixes metaphors. So any like English grammar teachers, sorry about that. Get mad at Paul, not mad at me. Um, But he shows us what it means to uh, grow in our faith. He starts here and he says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. And stop here just for a moment because Paul, what he's gonna say next, it's predicated on people that have said yes to Jesus. What he's gonna say next about growing in faith is predicated on the reality of somebody saying, yes, Jesus, you are Lord, you are king, and I recognize that, and I want you to be Lord and king over my life. So once you do that, Paul is saying this. So just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord and king, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 
The first metaphor that it gives us about what it looks like to grow spiritually is to be rooted, have deep roots. Now, my wife and I, our family, we live in a neighborhood on the northwest part of Kokomo, and it is surrounded, as you walk around our neighborhood, with massive old Indiana sycamore trees, right? And you guys have seen these trees. Here's a picture I found online of what an old sycamore tree looks like. Some of you are like, that looks like an epic tree to climb, and I don't understand you, um, but you might feel this way. I mean, it's just these massive trees, and as I walk around my neighborhood and I see these trees, I think about, like, these trees have been here maybe hundreds of of years, and they've grown so tall, and they've seen so much change of families moving in and out, different kind of storms and weather that happens on the surface, but man, this tree is still growing and still standing strong. And what I learned this last week about Indiana sycamore trees, and maybe you didn't know this, this is like the, the more you know segment of the sermon, but that they have a complicated and powerful root system underneath of the ground as well. There was this... Um, um, sycamore tree in New York City near this church um, that was actually, it was destroyed during the uh, terrorist attacks on 9-11. And an artist took the roots and the stump of this sycamore tree and flipped it upside down and casted it and painted it. And here's a piece of art now in New York City of the root system of a sycamore tree. Now I look at this and because I'm a nerd, I think it's a Demogorgon from Stranger Things or some kind of alien but maybe that's just me. Uh, but you see like, how deep and how tall these roots are and how wide they reach as well, right? This is what's going on in Indiana underneath the surface. I learned that the roots of an Indiana sycamore tree go down six to eight feet deep underneath the ground and they can spread 14 to 18 feet wide. What's amazing about these roots that are so deep and so strong is that it doesn't matter what's happening on the surface. It doesn't matter what storms are coming, what's moving around it. This tree, because the roots are so deep and so tied to the earth, they're not going to move around. I think what Paul is saying when he says that we're called to be rooted in Christ means that our trust and our faith in him is not swayed or broken because of a circumstance that happens on the surface because it goes much deeper than that. Paul wants these early Jesus followers, he wants us to be rooted deep in Christ to where the circumstances don't take us up and uproot us and don't make us sway and swivel around. Do you have a rooted faith in the person of Jesus? Because that's what it means for us to grow and to be who he's called us to be. Now, the other metaphor that Paul gives us is this phrase right here in verse six. He says, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now we see that phrase built up in him and we think of just like, you know, being built, but the first century listeners would pick up on this quickly because to be built up meant to be built from a very small beginning to a beautiful piece of architecture. To be built up means to be like be an artisan's work, to be like shaped and molded from something small to something much more extravagant. And I learned this last week that uh, a lot of the things that we know as architectural like uh, miracles or architectural like, you know, oh, that's amazing. Uh, they, they were a process. It wasn't something that was instantaneous. So for example, the Brooklyn Bridge connects Brooklyn and Manhattan in New York City. Do you guys know it took 14 years to build this? Like 14 years, that's like 
three and a half presidential terms. That's a lot of stuff going on. That's taking somebody from kindergarten to their sophomore year of college, right? I mean, like, there's a lot of life that happened in this. But it took 14 years to build something so extravagant. In India, the Taj Mahal Palace, I learned this this last week. I mean, this is just a piece of architectural wonder, right? But it took 22 years to build the Taj Mahal. And here, this, this is amazing. The best estimates show that it took 20,000 workers to complete the Taj Mahal, 20,000 people. But what the first century hearers would really pick up when they heard the built up language that Paul's using is that their minds would go to the temple, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Here's an artist's depiction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem in the first century. It took 80 years to construct this thing. And this was not just a, a piece of architecture, but it was a symbol for this place where heaven collided with earth because the presence of God dwelled there. Paul would just nudge his first listeners. And I think he would nudge us and give us a wink to say like, you, I want you to be built up like the temple of God because now it's not God's spirit is held in one place, but you are the temple of God. He says, I want you to see even in your mess that you are the place where heaven collides with earth and you bring the presence of heaven with you in your daily life. Be built up with that. Hear me, whatever kind of mess your life is, whatever kind of pain you're experiencing, however unworthy you feel, God has a destiny for you to be built up from a small beginning to something beautiful, a beautiful story of him bringing you the life of heaven to where you can spread it to those around you. Paul says, be rooted and built up in him. How does this like look? What I wanna do for the rest of our time is I just wanna like make it to where here's our locator, a GPS, something where you can think like this is where I need to grow. And the best way for us to see what spiritual growth and being fully connected in the spiritual life and moving forward, the best way for us to show that is for us to look at the life of Jesus. I mean, it's all about Jesus and we wanna follow Jesus and shadow the way that Jesus lived. And the Gospel of Luke shows us in this passage that looks just like it's about the mission of Jesus and what Jesus was up about. He shows us three relational patterns that I think are good check engine lights for us today to see where we are and where we need to do some maintenance on so that we can fully grow and not get stuck. So I'm gonna take us to Luke chapter six here. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spend the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. And I put the ellipses there because it's about five verses of listing off the names of the disciples. You can check those out later. Save some ink here. Uh, then he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Now, you might just look like we're seeing like an example of like what Jesus did in his life, but remember, Jesus is a rabbi, and everything Jesus is doing is teaching us. There's nothing as accidental. I think in this passage, we see three relational spheres that shows what a fully thriving and flourishing spiritual life looks like. First, we see at the very beginning here, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Jesus looked up in relationship to his heavenly Father. We see next that Jesus hung out with his disciples and he went down with them and journeyed with his disciples. 
Jesus showed, he was in with Jesus followers, people that were part of his tribe, part of his crew. But he wasn't just about his heavenly father and he wasn't just about people that believed the way that he did. He also went out and in his relational sphere to the hurting and the lost and he got busy doing kingdom work, bringing the mission and the love of God to other people. And I think, you guys, in this we see how we truly grow is that we need to be living a life that is looking up, in, and out so that we flourish in our spiritual journey. So I put together this, our team put together this like diagram to sort of show us this triangle. For us to be growing in our faith, I think we need all three of the points of the triangle um, moving and growing and like we're putting our foot on the gas to all three. First is up with God, Jesus he was connected to his heavenly father. He always was spending time with him, looking up. Um, he would always like leave his disciples and he'd just be off for like a long period of time praying and worshiping and spending time with God, abiding in this relationship with his heavenly father. So much so that I imagine the disciples are like, where's G Jesus is off again by himself. I mean, what is he even doing? Like, what is he even doing? I don't even know. Jesus, meatloaf, like, what are you doing? We gotta get this thing going, right? Like, we gotta, you know, tell people about the kingdom and get the mission going, but Jesus is hanging out with his heavenly father. How are you doing in your up life, like, with you and your connectivity to God? Is the idea of solitude, like, a foreign thought to you? Is it like your alarm goes off and you just go headfirst into your day and you're, by the midday your head is just spinning with all that you got going on and you feel like you've got to fill every empty space with noise and activity? I think Jesus is giving us a model to where we slow down to where we can hear him. We slow down so we can hear his whispers. We can see and reflect on his word, what he's calling us to understand and what he's calling us to do. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I'm excited for the month of May because every day we're walking through the book of Colossians verse by verse. And our staff team's rotating through doing these reflection videos on YouTube. There's a version reading plan that we're walking through and we've got reflection questions and prayer prompts. I mean, this is something I'm so excited about because all together we have this opportunity to walk through the scriptures together. And here, just a little bit of a nudge, like, because I can see the views and I can see how many people are doing it. You guys, we can do better than what we did the first week, right? <laughs> We can set alarms to make meetings at work. We can set alarms and reminders so that we're in the Bible together and we can ask questions and pray. Let's spend some time in his word so that we are growing in up with our relationship with God the Father. But maybe you've taken your foot off the gas. Maybe it's time to re-engage and set some new patterns so that you grow. The next example, the next relational sphere that we saw Jesus interact with was you know, are growing in our faith in with other Christians, people that are running in the same direction that we are, people that know us, that encourage us, lift our heads when we're weary, and also like call us out when we're being dumb because we're all there sometimes. It's fascinating to me that Jesus could have been a lone ranger. Jesus could have done everything he did all by himself, doing like the Superman play, but he chose not to. He surrounded himself with 12 men, and then we hear from other gospels there were other men and other women that were part of his crew as well, but he did life with people. How are you doing in this area of your life? Like, Do you have Jesus followers in your life that encourage you, that lift you up, that challenge you when you need to be challenged? 
I mean, this is why it's so important for us. Table groups are such a huge deal at our church, and it's like our version of small groups or life groups or something you might have heard of before. Um, but we love gathering in rows, but we think that circles are better than rows. Uh, we want uh, people to have their people, to have their tribe that can encourage them, love them, challenge them as we walk through life together. You know, and here, mark your calendars. If this is an area of your life that you need to push down on the gas, you need to grow a little bit so that you don't get stuck, Mark your calendars for next Saturday when we're gonna get a group of people together at the Bobcats game where we're gonna hang out, get to know each other better, watch the Bobcats get into the playoffs. I mean, we're gonna like do this together. And then on May 22nd, Sunday late afternoon into the evening, we're having our very uh, first of 2022, our parking lot party where we're gonna have food truck here. We're gonna be hanging out together outside. And then we're gonna come inside um, around six for a night of worship, of communion and singing. But it's a great opportunity for you to meet some people, to connect with people and to grow in with other Christians. This is very vital for us, but here's some opportunities for you to take. Now, hear me in this, though. Jesus was not just about his relationship with God and his relationship with other Christians, and those are both vital. But if we just lean there, we're not gonna grow the way he wants us to grow because we need to look out as well. Jesus, he went out to the lost and the broken, and he got his hands dirty. He skinned his knees doing his father's work to bring the up there down here. I mean, how are you doing... with your mission to follow Jesus, to partner with God? Do you have a rhythm of your life that you serve other people with? And I'm not talking about your job, because I know we can all call our job service, right? But like, do you have a rhythm of your life where you give yourself away, you give your time away for a need or cause bigger than yourself? Do you have people in your life that, they, that God has maybe nudged you to share with them just the reason that you have hope or to invite them to come to a service like this to hear about Jesus? Is there an ache in our community a cry from our community that you just can't shake, that you're like, I want to do something. I need to be a part of the solution. I don't have all the answers, but I need to be a part of fixing this issue. I believe that you will never grow spiritually until you get in the game of partnering with God to put this broken world back together. And some of you, that's your next step is you need to step out and serve. You need to step out and find a way to be part of the solution. You need to step out and lock arms with God to bring the up there down here. But let me ask you this question before we close. As you look at this, as you look at this diagram on the screen, where have you taken your foot off the gas? Maybe at some point you're like, yeah, these were all non-negotiables of my life. But COVID happened, kids happened, busyness happened, one of your experiences were less than ideal, then you just sort of, you don't like, say you don't agree with it, but you just sort of take your foot off the gas and you step away. Answer that question for yourself. I know for me, I mean, it's been all three at different seasons of my life. All three. But here's what I want you to understand is that when you are intentionally, you have rhythms of your life that hit all three points of that triangle, you will grow in your trust. You will grow in the good work that you do in this world. You will grow in your knowledge of God, that intimacy of walking with God, and you will start to thrive again, and there's no way that you will be stuck. My friends, there are spiritual milestones ahead waiting for you. Chaz, let's put up that N.T. Wright quote. I wanna close with this. Uh, N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, he says this, being a Christian is like riding a bicycle. Unless you go forward, you'll fall off. 
and it's kind of cute, but I think this is a challenge inside of this as well because some of us, we, we can't really describe how we're moving forward and we're about to fall off. We're just like, eh, it's just not that big of a deal. I, I checked the box in my head, but we're not moving forward. I don't want you to get stuck. I don't want you to fall off because God has got beautiful things ahead of you, my friends. Don't miss it. He wants you to be rooted. He wants you to be built up. He wants you to thrive and up, in and out. So where do you need to put your foot back on the gas so that you can be presented as fully mature in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Colossians 1.28.